You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art, trailers, and behind the scenes. It's Orion Month Part 2. Matt, what cult classic did we look at this week? So I have a I have a double feature DVD that I'm looking at. Unfortunately, I don't have this on VHS, but it, it came with something wild uh, of this totally awesome 80s double feature We've got also Desperately Seeking Susan. She's a woman of mystery. A woman of surprises. What are you doing here? A woman named Susan. Orion Pictures presents Desperately Seeking Susan. Susan! 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 My God, we all thought you were dead. Just in New Jersey. Madonna is Susan. The hottest voice in rock is now the freshest face on film. Every man is desperate to have her. One woman is desperate to be her. Everybody I know is desperate except you. I'm desperate. You? <laughs> but someone is desperate to kill her. Killed? Come on, come on. Dead? If he can figure out who she is. Come on, come on. I'm not Susan. I don't believe it. I'm a housewife and I live in Fort Lee, New Jersey. You never stop, do you? Starring Rosanna Arquette as Roberta. You know, Garrett, between you and me, what do you really know about Roberta? She doesn't even like sex that much. It's impossible. She'll love it. You can you can And Madonna as Susan. No more dead bodies, okay? I'll see what I can do. Bye-bye, Bruce. It was fun, huh? Maybe you were the killer. You were with this guy? Come on, come on. I was breathing when I left. Desperately seeking Susan. A life so crazy it takes two women to live it. When we were talking about this, I avoided saying like, hey, what's your double feature with this just for fun? Because it's it's desperately seeking Susan. And I'm like, <laughs> but I can't say that. We're doing it next month. I mean, next week. Oh, it's so funny. With this double feature, can I just say that it would be true romance? Just because I think... Doing something while desperately seeking Susan and then watching True Romance is just like a movie marathon of like, holy shit, <laughs> fun, 80s, late 80s fun, even though I think True Mo- Romance was 1991, right? 92, 92, yeah. 92. Anyway, I think it's a fun quadruple yeah, this is uh, another movie that is desperately no, seeking Susan. No, quad I'm sorry, tri trifecta, Tri-triple, triple triple feature. Yeah, um, desperately seeking Susan is another one that falls in this category of being a romantic comedy, but it also has this crime edge to it. So we saw this with something wild. You, you mentioned True Romance. Uh, I think True Romance is kind of turning up the dial to like a thousand on that. This is 
not that kind of movie, but like it, it does tap dance. It tap dances among the other genres a little bit as well. I, I think it blends better with something wild more than Desperately Seeking Susan, personally. But there's something about these that works. I don't know. There is definitely a through line. And I think it, it starts with Desperately Seeking Susan. That's your first one because you tap dance a little bit into the crime. Then you go something wild because then it gets a little crazier. And then, you know, the end spins out of control. Then you then you can jump into something like a true romance or, you know, the Bonnie and Clyde kind of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, third, it's a building. And this is this is your lighter one. This is kind of your first one here. Ooh, uh, nice. You just you just stumbled into a quad. I think a great a great quad that you just kind of stumbled upon is would you do desperately seeking Susan something wild? But what would you do third and what would you end with true romance or Thelma and Louise? I think programming wise, you got to end with true romance because it's the craziest and it's sort of build it, it builds the theme that you're, you know, working, working across. It also helps too if you're super uh, anal like me, it's uh, order that they came out as well. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Release date order. So it's like double satisfying. Man, that would be a quad movie marathon that I don't know if any of us could handle. Yeah, not in one day. <laughs> not in what? Certainly not in one day. <laughs> uh, Thelma and Louise, I feel like is one I should revisit more, but I go more of the true romance because, you know, <laughs> that ending is insane. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I just saw the trailer on another DVD I watched uh, the other day for True Romance again. And yeah, so good. That trailer gives away too much, though. So don't watch the trailer if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think that falls into the same line of something wild and desperately seeking Susan. I don't think they know how to market these. And they're better. They don't know how to market them. Plus, these are movies that are better if you just go in knowing Why? it's a good movie. But don't look anything up. Yeah, don't know what you're getting into. Because I watched the trailer for this movie after I was done watching it, Desperately Seeking Susan. Um, and that trailer gives away so much of what makes this movie so fun. It doesn't give away like the ending or anything like that, but like it gives away too much. So uh, these movies are better experienced blind. Agreed. Uh, it's just because they can't be sold to anyone. It's it's more of like a people who want to see a bunch of genres and moods mixed. Absolutely. And I think I heard a description for this movie that I that helped me. I don't I don't remember the, the verbiage of the description, but I remember they used the word screwball for Desperately Seeking Susan. And that helped me kind of almost wrap my head around it because it it is you know, a comedy that tips its toes into crime and there's a little, some thriller aspects and there's some uh, crazy stuff that happens in the movie, but no kind of figuring that the intent was kind of it to be a screwball, you know, which is if, if you don't know the terminology is kind of like the, a comedy that, how would you describe it? Like where misunderstandings pile up and then people, are wallowing in, in no communication and uh, all kinds of miscommunications and things like that. Yeah, I would say it's a, a miscommunication movie with accidental interactions that lead all the characters into one final location. Yeah. So, and I and I love final location movies. I really do. I love one day lo- uh, one day trips. I guess you could say where the entire film happens in one day, and I like final location movies 
like true romance. Yeah, where everybody comes together at the end. And I think that's a screwball trope, too. So it's like fun to see this movie kind of put through that lens. And that helped me kind of wrap my head around all the crazy shit that was happening in this one. A lot of European um, comedies or dark comedies and stuff like this like to take a bunch of different characters where all the storyline comes together at the end. Mm -hmm. But what I like about the United States, a bunch of different characters coming together is a lot of the United States decide to always have it in one location. And I always find that more fun. And I never knew this until I I heard someone talk about it. They talked about all the different movies, you know, like Europeans, especially, especially uh, Scotland, uh, UK, basically. Uh, They love to end the movies where every character's storyline is in one, but that doesn't mean every character's in the same building or the same room. The United States, on the other hand, with the independence era rose in the late 80s, decided to have it always end in one area. And have all the characters come back together. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why the UK and a lot of Europe decided to not do it in one room, but I love that the United States actually put that together. And it's one of the things where I think the US excels in their multi-tier character stories coming together. I think one of the things that works so well with this movie is you mentioned too, like the one location. And yes, they literally do all come together in one location at the end of this movie. But I think one of the things about this movie that is so interesting is it almost does feel like it's in one location as in like one room but it's not it's just in new york and they use new york in such a way where it feels like new york is the magic club you know what i mean like the magic club is where they all meet at the end of the movie feels like new york itself throughout the movie is just one place where all these people just keep bumping into each other i think that's a excellent way to tie a bow on this is new york is the one location where everyone comes together that a lot of the story's background is in new jersey but It's actually most of the stories in New York, but I feel like so many of the characters are from Jersey that it feels like we're in Jersey a lot, but we're not. We're in New York. (laughs) So it's fun. We have a a New Jersey housewife and a New Jersey yuppie, a New Jersey uh, sexually thriving. Madonna. (laughs) Well, no, no, I I I was actually going with Aunt Becky. The other oh, okay. Aunt Becky from okay. Roseanne, where she's like, I got to get a man. I got to get a man. And no, Madonna is the wild card in this. And I, I truly feel like the movie feels like it's constantly falling Madonna. But really, it's not. Madonna's kind of like the star in the sky that's like, we're, we are falling, honestly. But we're not. I, I don't know how to describe this. Roseanne Arquette's the main character. But I feel like... Madonna's the the person in front of the race for a while and then just disappears. Yeah, but Madonna is the is the object almost in the movie. Yeah. You know, the thing they're chasing, they're desperately seeking Susan. But with that Madonna's only in the movie for maybe half of it. And the person that's carrying it the whole time is Rosanna Arquette. So it yeah, it is. It's it's interesting that she's not the star, but it is all about her. And she has ties to New Jersey. Also, she's they she walks into the club at the beginning of the movie and they're like, I thought you were dead. And she was like, no, I was just in Jersey. And then, like, <laughs> and then yeah. uh, uh, she just came from Atlantic City also um, specifically where the 
person that she was hooking up with, we find out at the beginning was just killed. So, uh, you know, there's, there's ties to all these different little places, but it's such a New York movie. It is. It's just like New York act theater actor school threw up on it. And not in a bad way, because I feel no. like now when you hear that, it's kind of off putting for this movie. This is what it should be. No, I, I think you are like me where it's just like we're tired of the New York L.A. scene where it's just constantly brought up. I think there's plenty of New York and L.A. scene people that we love. We're just tired of hearing about the scene. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Like, it's just like, oh, you've got to be from New York. You've got to act in L.A. And like, no, you don't. Like, we've proved this over and over, decade after decade. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Because like, uh, well, first of all, I I hate L.A. I hate L.A. I never would be there. <laughs> I hate that place. I would never um, live there. I would never I, live in New York. But but the New York, I don't I don't think I could live there either. But it does have a magic to it, a, you know, a specialness to it. And I think I think, you know, growing up with stuff like Ghostbusters and Saturday Night Live, they kind of added to the mystique of it for me yeah. growing up. But like I, I love I love this idea of New York and this magic of New York, even though I wouldn't live there. But nowadays, like the trope, you know, for the romantic comedies is like New York is basically a character in the movie. And it's like it's been done to death. It's been done to death. You know, like with like a movie like this, it's so it's the New York art scene, the starving artist. It feels like actually a part of it. And it this is cool. The later stuff that comes, you know, with the Kate Hudson romantic comedies uh, is gets that's where it starts to get cringe. And then and then it's like, yeah, we don't need to be in New York or L.A. for the for there to be talent. (laughs) What I think it is, is also is before New York became gentrified. uh, When New York was dirty, I, I have a note that says dirty New York is a movie theme that we need to do. We don't know that we need to do it, but we have to do it. That is a full note that I put. And what it is, is because it feels so isolated. Do you know what I mean? Like New York is a massive city, but the New York, dirty New York films feel so isolated. Like we're in one, I don't know, three block like square. I don't know how to describe it. We obviously know it's in one area in New York, but I'm saying like it feels even smaller than that. It feels isolated. Yeah, and that's what I was saying tied to what you were talking about at the beginning, like that, like, even though this isn't taking place in one central location, uh, it's taking place throughout New York. Everybody's so interconnected. It makes New York feel like one room, you know? <laughs> yeah, it feels small, even right. though it's, it shouldn't. Right. It's a beautiful time for a lot of independent movie directors, producers, actors, and everything like that. There was a lot of cool stuff that came out of it. Now, obviously, New York, after Rudy Giuliani in the 90s. I'm not a historian, so if I'm wrong, whatever. I could be, because I'm not from New York. But from what I know is, once it became gentrified, it has lost its movie-making charm, because it's now become like a generic character. Yeah, it's, now it's it's Disneyfied. It's Disney, you know. Like, well, are we going to really pin this on Disney? I understand. I love to pin things on Disney, but is this one? This isn't Disney's fault. But I know no, it's not their mean. fault. It's not their fault. I'm saying just like the vibe of it is like you know, it's safe, it's family, it's colorful lights. You know, it's I'm not saying that Disney did it. Rudy Giuliani did it, but <laughs> um, uh, it just feels like you know, safe like Disney now, as opposed to when you see movies like this. And you kind of, or the Hell's Kitchen stuff, you know, then it's like, this is New York with like a pulse, with an edge. 
Uh, what this reminds me of is what Wrigleyville's turned into. Back in the day when I went to Wrigleyville, it smelled like piss. It was full of drunks and college kids and idiots, but it had character. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful character of Chicago. I went to it last year, and it's it's like it's the condos. Fucking, it's, it's condos uh, and mini mall. What the fuck is going on? And, yeah, <laughs> and like commercial restaurants. I'm like, what is this? This is not what I came up in, and right. this is what. I think New York is turned into in the movies. I'm mm-hmm. not from New York, so I don't know. But the movies New York is turned into, is it New York great? I'm like, no, <laughs> I want New York to be dirty and interesting. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. I don't want this fucking cookie cutter Lego New York <laughs> or Wrigleyville in right. Chicago. I can no longer bring people here that's never lived in Chicago because it'd be like, oh, this just looks like, yeah, everything else. Correct. Damn you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so that's why we got to go to smaller cities and find this shit. Like, I want to go to Cleveland so bad because I hear Cleveland is still Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. I went there. Uh, was it last year or the year before? And yes, it's it has not changed in 20 years. <laughs> that's my kind of city. <laughs> you got bricks falling out of your building. That's my kind of city. <laughs> I mean, I got that here. If you want to, if you want to experience well, that, just okay, come move into my apartment. <laughs> your apartment's like you know, like a small uh, time capsule of Chicago <laughs> falling yeah. apart with character. That's but right. But you also want to get out. Yes, <laughs> as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> By the way, people, Chicago films—that should be a genre film. Why have we done Chicago films? What's wrong with us? We'll do it. We'll do it. We just never had a reason. Now we have a reason. There we go. We've been talking about it. We got to do it now. That's what it is. That's that's that could be two months. That could be like some could be long, a long like, time. It could be a long dive deep into that. We would have to come up with uh, rules. Now, do we count like Batman movies that had scenes shot in Chicago or mm-hmm. is it just movies specifically shot in Chicago? We're like 80 percent of the film. is. Yeah, on. I would say like majority shot. Because, like, yeah. Spider-Man 2 filmed the train scene here, but it's not a Chicago movie. But, like, Dark Knight is a Chicago movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's... Okay, we'll come up with rules. We'll do a Chicago month. Great. Done. You're not going to get any rejections from anyone. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, and if you are, go somewhere else. Yeah, go somewhere else. We're in the best place. <laughs> <laughs> of the big three, anyway, we're in the best. Yeah. So released April 12th, 1985 at a budget of 4.5 million and it made almost 28 million. I would say this is very much a success. Good job, Orion. And this is a cult classic, I would say at this point. It hasn't really crossed over into the mainstream. It is on VH1 all the time, but it hasn't really crossed over into being like a mainstream big hit. But people know it. People who have seen it really like it. Uh, It's it's. It's a deep cult classic. It's not like a hard one to find, but it has a a big, big cult following. Definitely. And I think this should be a ladies cult classic. Honestly, I mean, director's a lady, writer's a lady, starring ladies, produced by ladies. It's a ladies film. It is. Uh, I was really excited when I watched the credits for this to see the two main producers are ladies, the writer, director, ladies, like you mentioned, like the four main people in charge of this movie. We're all ladies. Love that. Love to see that. And then, yeah, it's a lady uh, led movie because it's through uh, Rosanna Arquette's point of view. So 
women power movie that is uh you just didn't see this in 85 you know unless it was independent like this movie is no i this this movie surprised me i had no idea about all this i just thought it was a fun sleeper hit it's it's more than that i'm surprised this movie isn't championed as an all ladies film Mm -hmm. i mean that has become a popular thing to market nowadays um i wish it was more about like hey you know (laughs) females can do this shit it shouldn't be marketed that way but no i mean come on it's it's a marketing ploy uh we have to accept that and i'm glad that we (laughs) are getting more women's perspective in films this is outrageous. They make up more than 50% of the population. How the fuck did we not have this? But you know, <laughs> yeah, this is the world we live in. It's it's completely insane. I love the I love the different perspective here because yes, it has all of these ladies working on this movie and it is a women uh led movie, but it's never alienating any audience. It's for, the movie's for anybody, but it's just coming from this great female perspective. This is like a great thing. And again, you just didn't see this in 85. No, it doesn't have Madonna slapping a man in the face going, women can do it better. You know, right. Like, Which is like what we get nowadays. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, I see what your effort is here nowadays, but it's like by doing it that way, you're undercutting it. Yeah. So here it's not undercut at all. Yeah. Being a feminist doesn't mean that you have to derail men. Being a feminist is being just a strong female. Right. I mean, that's, I think, what the initial, like, whole point of this is, is women rising, not deteriorating everyone else. It's women rising. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's what we want. That's what I want. I, like, I don't know. I, I'm well, not- I, just, I, have a, I just hate the marketing. I of, do, too. Like, like the Captain Marvel. I'm going to say it again. I always talk shit about Captain Marvel. But so do I, because it's not a good film. <laughs> the movie sucked. Um, but, like, yeah, the way they push, like, the look at this female led thing in this fe- and I'm like, but just tell a good story, you know, like stop trying to sell me on this feminist message, which I'm already behind. Like I'm already into it. Like don't use it as like a, it almost feels like a crutch and forced. And it, yeah. you know, it's coming from old white dudes. <laughs> you know, those are the guys that are producing it. Here's another thing. This is a sidebar side tangent. What I don't like about the captain Marvels. And I've complained about this before because I'm I'm vocal in a way where I feel I hope I'm coming from the right place. I really do. I don't know. I'm male. I'm a white male. I don't know if I'm coming from the right place, but I mean to be coming from the right place. So if I'm wrong, point it out. Anyway, back into this film. That was a hell of a side tangent. Thanks for the <laughs> ranting. <laughs> I think it was important. Yeah. So starring Rosanna Arquette as Roberta, Madonna as Susan, Aiden Quinn as Des. That was interesting. I like Aiden Quinn. I liked him in this film. I was surprised to see him. I forgot he was ever young. Yeah, what a stud. What a what a good looking young man this guy is. <laughs> yeah, also uh, kind of balanced out by how joyful I was and how cringe nah cringe might not be anyway robert joy is a punk is funny i love robert joy anytime he comes on film love him 
Yeah, I love Robert Joy. Also, we talked about him. I, I sang his praises in their Amityville 3D episode. Uh, I love Robert Joy. I think he's great. And I'm so I was so happy to see him here in not his, you know, Robert CSI Joy-isms. role. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, see him having fun here. And uh, another uh, Will Patton also as just a creep was really Ooh, fun to see. Creepy <laughs> vibes all over that man. I've seen him play villains before, but never like this. So that was really yeah. fun to see, too. Well, I always forget that Will Patton is a New York boy. I don't think he's New York, but he's the New York actor. And he's, he's in a in lot of these kind so of so much <laughs> yeah. of the 80s. And I forget because as a young Missouri moving to Chicago boy, I honestly remember him from Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. uh, Armageddon. Mm hmm. The the Bruckheimer movies. He's in yes, like all of yeah. those from that stretch. And Jerry Bruckheimer knows talent. Good job. I love Will Patton. I love when he shows up in anything. And it was fun to see him here do something different. Like I said, I've seen him play villains before, but this was something else. So that was fun. The hair, yeah. the blonde, the icy blonde hair. It's weird. And, and the teeth. They did something with his teeth or something for this, too. I don't know if they gave him little fangs or something. But his teeth look different in here. Why do I think I've never seen Blue Velvet? Yes, go ahead, rip me. Was he in Blue Velvet? Why do I think I've seen clips with him? I feel like everyone's in Will in Blue Velvet. Everyone is. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Um, I, I haven't seen it in since college, so I can't. Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, I I think I was supposed to watch that for a college film class, and I said no because there was a time where I had a problem with the director, David Lynch. Everything David Lynch is, you know, gold. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll be honest, I was that person. I hated Michael Bay on the other end because, well, first of all, he took my name. He didn't <laughs> actually, but you know what I mean. And then the other end, I hated the, oh my God, Michael Lynch, everything that does is gold. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I hate him. I hate him. I don't care what he does. So I never watched it, even though I don't really have a problem with David Lynch as a filmmaker now, maybe I would have a problem with David Lynch, the person, but the filmmaker, I don't care. It's too many other shit going on. I don't care. <laughs> I just, but, but it is the David Lynch film that I've never visited. Yeah, I think you, I actually think you would enjoy it. It's the, if you like Wild at Heart, uh, it's more like that. It's sort of his departure from the Lynch art movie thing. So it's, they're more Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart are more his mainstream things. Okay. But still weird, but like, you know, while it hurts more of an action movie then Blue Velvet's kind of more of a horror movie. So but uh, I think you'd like it. I, I saw it. I saw it in a class called Sadistic Violence in American Cinema. So <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> it's a great class. Going further in this directed by Susan Settleman, which I find a very interesting director after this, because I thought this would propel her to stardom. But honestly, she did Making Mr. Right and She Devil, and her career was never the same. Yeah, I think just because those movies didn't really hit. Yeah, they didn't cost much to make, and I don't know if they were losses, honestly. But I think critically, it sunk her. That kind of hurt her, but she did come back and direct some Sex in the City, but I honestly don't know much about her career after this. What if she did stage? Because she's in New York. You know, maybe. maybe. Uh, but it was written by, uh, let's see, Barish, Laura Barish. Uh, I can't remember. It's Barish, I think. Um, she hasn't done much either, but she did write. I did notice she wrote Basic Instinct 2. Oh, nice. I've seen that. 
risk addiction. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, you're one of the few people you and Ashley that I know have seen it. Yes, it's a trip. <laughs> it's a trip, man. I had never seen this. I know my mom had seen it. I had gone downstairs while she was watching it on Showtime or HBO or whatever. I never stayed for it. How about you? This was another one that my mom recommended to me. She saw this in theaters. Uh, just Your like mom's something got wild. good taste. Yes, she does. <laughs> um, she liked this one a lot, said I would like it. And then I just think this wasn't going to be, again, like something wild. I needed to see this later. It wasn't, I, you know, she recommended it to me when I was probably a teenager. And it just wasn't going to be for me as a teenager. Not because I was a teenage boy and it was a girl movie, but because it was like PG-13 um, and, you know, it was on VH1 all the time. I guess in my teenage brain, it always seemed safe or whatever. Uh, but then seeing it now, you know, with that bullshit teenage mind aside now, put that putting that away. Uh, this was the first time I had watched it finally, though, after all these years of it being recommended. And I'm so glad that I saw it later when I could really appreciate it because uh, I fucking adored this movie. So... Again, I don't think I was ready to see this when I was younger. I'm glad I saw it now. Yep, same same position. Let's get into this film. If we're walking down the video store on a Friday night, we look at this. I see Rosanna Arquette and Madonna, two lovely ladies. I'm I'm I I kind in this film I kind of find Rosanna Arquette more attractive. How yeah, about you? I I me me too. I'm always been uh. Uh, super, super attracted to Rosanna Arquette. I think There's she's something adorable. like she's not interested in me that I like. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly it's the marketing with her where she's kind of this straight disinterested while um, Madonna, they tend to look like she's always in the clouds. Right. Anyway, Rosanna Arquette, Aiden Quinn and Madonna as Susan, just in case you forgot, but uh, I have the <laughs> Orion where it's just them on the front, desperately seeking Susan. Like the title is slanted, and that's really all that it is. It's selling the two female leads, which is good. I'm glad none of the males are on front because really they're just side characters in this film. But what's curious about these two leading the film is they're barely on screen together, which is great, which I think is great too, because you're waiting for it. It's rebuilding the anticipation of them connecting. And this is a, you know, 95 minute film, something like that. 104 minutes. So I'm a little off. They're basically not on screen until 90 minutes into this film. Right. And it's cool. I like it because you're right. I kept waiting, kept waiting. I was invested. And I'm like, at the end, I'm like, will you just do it? And then they were. <laughs> so I stuck with it. But this is a very simple vhs cover i i there's no chance i'd rent this as a kid i would um my i my thing i would have rented it probably if it was r i was always seeking something you know m i guess more adult not necessarily needing to see like nudity or swearing or violence just i think seeing this cover and then seeing pg-13 i think my young brain would think this is just not for me yeah i would just see two girls i'm gonna be honest at like 10 years old when maybe I'd see this two girls leading a film, a 10 year old boy. No. <laughs> see, I, I was, I, we were different in that, that I, I always liked like female led stuff and stuff like that. But again, I always wanted more adult stories. I didn't want like kids movies. 
I didn't see the Babysitter's Club when it came out, you know? <laughs> you were an only child, so you got to choose on your own. Yeah, that too. I had three other brothers. The thing is, is when we rented films, we had to sell them to each other. <laughs> there was no like, I'm going to rent this and you get, you three get three other things. No. No. And my three brothers and I, when my older brother was off doing his skateboard shit or whatever he was doing because he was six years older than me. But when it was us three, I had a little bit more influence. I was the older one. I was the wise one. I could throw <laughs> my weight around. But even still, that didn't work. It's not like I could say something and they'd be like, you're right. Let's rent something that no one wants to watch. You know, like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, you still had to sell it. And not only did I have to sell it to my brothers, I'd have to sell it to my parents. So I always felt like I was selling the movie I was going to rent. And I find it's funny because our world was so small back then that this was everything. On Friday nights, the movies we picked were everything. Or the video games. Nothing else mattered. If I failed in this, I felt like a failure all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, That's how small my world was. Even as a, an only child, and even if I was the only one watching it, there is, is something about the video store. There's nothing more disappointing than renting something uh, and it sucks. And you're like, God, I invested so much time in picking it out. I got it here. My dad paid for it. And now I'm, <laughs> now I'm sitting here watching it and it sucks. There's yeah. no work. People people in the streaming age will never get that because they can always just no. click exit and then on to the next thing. But like in the video store era, you committed to what you were renting. And if it sucked, you had to live with that. And it, it, it hurt. <laughs> it did. It really did. Getting into the description of this, do you have the VHS at all? No, I've got this. This is DVD. So here we go. Uh, we got a picture of Madonna on the pier. We got a picture of Susan and uh, Des meeting on the pier, and then underneath it, it's got a picture of Madonna looking at a book like she's writing in a diary. I don't quite know, but anyway, then it's got a picture of. Roberta as oh man her in, in her awful 80s housewife housewife dress oh man that thing was so ugly <laughs> I mean I know they specifically picked it because it was awful right anyway uh, pop diva Madonna makes her celebrated screen debut in this smash hit as Susan the exclusive and oddly engaging renegade on the lamb from a host of enemies and admirers she and her boyfriend communicate through a series of personal ads until their public pronouncements of love unexpectedly spark the attention of others. Roberta, which is Roseanne Arquette, is the bored suburban housewife who is at first intrigued by and then strangely obsessed with Susan in a last-ditch effort to add passion and intrigue to her own humdrum life. She resolves to trail Susan to learn more about her strange and nomadic existence. But when Roberta is unexpectedly hit on the unexpectedly hit on the head, she begins to believe that she actually is Susan, uh, unraveling an adventure of mistaken identity. Aiden Quinn and Robert Joy co-star as the lovelorn men caught in the impossible web that the two very different women weave. Follow the frazzled housewife and temptress through the streets of Manhattan and find out why all New York is desperately seeking Susan. Runtime 104 in color. Closed caption, stereo. Um, I'm sorry, mono. 
I was going to make fun of that's not in stereo because it's EP mode. It's a shit. <laughs> it's a shit tape. And this is Orion, right? It's an Orion release and it's really bad. Yikes. Not even a not even a video treasures or a good times. It is just uh, Orion cutting some corners. This is Orion with no trailers, EP mode, not believing in this film on initial release. It's sad. Yeah, it is what it is. I don't know what to say. I, no excuses. You know, it's not like they've actually said anything. They don't believe in this film, according to this release, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If they're if, if that's how they're dumping it. Yeah, they don't care. It's no. just put it on video shelves. Oh, this is a, an original, by the way. Yeah. And they don't. So they don't care. They don't give a shit. No. <laughs> just put it on a shelf and whatever happens happens. Which is funny because <laughs> this movie was made for under a million and made at least eight million dollars in the box office. So if you spent next to no marketing, which I'm sure they <laughs> didn't, it still made money. Well, this is 1985. This is early video, though. They probably just were like, uh, everybody's just going to see it in theaters. This video thing isn't going to do anything anyway. <laughs> That's a really good point. I didn't think about that. It's a yeah, early video. So they probably just didn't even know better. <laughs> Let's put this tape in. Like I said, no trailers. Let's get into the film. We've got a housewife, Rosanna Arquette. Who's looking for more? I, would you describe her as desperate? No, she is in a situ- she wants she's in a situation where she feels trapped and she wants to explore the world. She's never kind of left her bubble, so she is has a wanderlust and is sort of uh, swept away by the romanticism of these wanted ads. And she she's like she wants to be desperate is what she wants to be. <laughs> I, I feel like this is part of the problem marketing this is she's she's bored, I guess you could say. That's it, right? Yeah, but not in the standard, you know, romantic comedy later on genre. Uh, she's just a bored housewife. No, she has a three. She's a three dimensional character that, you know, has wants and feelings and desires that she's not getting at home. So I wouldn't say she's just a bored housewife. But yes, she is seeking more in her life for sure yeah i guess i have a hard time pinning her down because i understand madonna she's nomadic she's sexy she just oozes sex in this film but she's not lost rosanna is exactly yeah susan she floats around everywhere but she knows she knows what she's doing she knows where she's just going with the flow and she's hanging with the people she's hanging with and she's doing the things she's doing she, this is her life she loves it like the and then the opposite is Roberta, who is looking for more. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I feel like I, I not maybe as extreme, but I feel like I kind of know people who are this Susan, you know, that can go anywhere, can hang with anybody, can, you know, just adapt into situations and always be good. You know, yeah. I, I went to college with a couple of these who are sort of still doing that. And it's one of those things I don't understand because I can't. Yeah, I'm not that. I'm I'm Aiden Quinn in this situation. I am the uh, star- starving artist at the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm anyone in this film. I guess I would be closest to the yuppie, but I'm not cheating on my wife. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> uh, yeah, so at first, when I saw Mark Blum as Gary Glass, he's the yuppie. We've seen this. They do this in so many 80s films. He's the yuppie who's, who doesn't even understand that he's privileged. Right. He's just like, well, why would you get 
uh, clothes second hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why are you getting that? St- what are we poor? That whole line says yeah. so much about his character where it's all about the actual image of their lives. And he doesn't even pay attention to how cool the jacket is. Right. He's stuck on that at second hand. <laughs> I don't hate him, but I don't like him. But later right. on the film, I instantly hate him. We'll get into that. Uh, so Madonna oozes sex. We know her character. It's fun to see her sneaking out of some random guy's room. We don't know he's a mobster at the time, but we find out quickly. What I found out fascinating was she takes his wallet, but doesn't steal all the money. This is so much like something wild where she's not a character looking to drain everyone of everything. She, there's something, there's something human about them. Yeah. She's looking out for herself. She's just trying to get by and she takes the earrings, you know, she's like, these are cool. And then, but she's like, it's almost like she's like a collector, you know, she's got all these pat, these pieces from her past. My note is what's up with these earrings. They better come back. Oh, they do. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, immediately, my next note is, wait, was that Will Patton? (laughs) Damn right, that was Will Patton. (laughs) And then we got Richard Edson, the newspaper guy who says, Mm -hmm. what's up to to Madonna, and you should know him. Uh, I mean, he's been in so much. He was in uh, Howard the Duck when he's in the club. Uh, He's with the manager, and uh, he's like, yeah, man, you got to take that money from that band. (laughs) <laughs> and then of course he's in um Ferris Bueller, uh, Ferris Bueller which I probably his most famous role. Mm-hmm. The car yeah. guy. The car um, guy. And uh Super Mario Brothers. Yep, Super Mario Brothers as one of the Goombas. Mm-hmm. Uh he's been in so much and he is a New York dude. So when I saw him, I was like, huh, I wonder if this movie's made in New York. Little did I know. He's one of those faces, yeah, that like, okay, I kind of know what kind of movie this is going to (laughs) be. We got a city movie here. (laughs) Well, there are a few New York actors who come up when I'm like, it's solidified because I know all of them know each other. And the reason I know all of them know each other is because of Super Mario Brothers, which introduced me to the New York acting world. (laughs) It's a weird movie to introduce you that, but everything behind the scenes, I learned. Like all these people know each other, all these people acted together, and all these that's why all these guys and girls and everything get the same roles in these movies. But until you know more about where they're shot, you don't know. And then you know. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. it's a weird thing to like it's a weird subgenre to get into as a New, film. New fan. York movies. Yeah. <laughs> Dirty New York movies. Yeah. The artist, artist New York yeah, movies. Yeah, artist New York. Yeah, let's be honest. These are people who are doing plays. Mm-hmm. People that just like the craft, you know, the work. Do like to just do it. And I think that's so much more genuine than like the LA crowd. Um, so it's, yeah, it's fun to watch in, in, in these movies. I don't know why Richard Edison didn't get better roles. I don't know if he was exclusively a theater guy who just did roles every once in a while or he just didn't make it. I don't know. He he seemed like to me just a guy who worked, you know? So was it a play? Was it a bit part in a movie? Was it a show? It didn't matter. Dude yeah. just worked. Aunt Jackie, which is Lori Metcalf. The other Aunt Jackie, as I call her. Uh, I thought it was so strange to see. Um, first of all, 
The two big roles I know are from this now, but Aunt Jackie, who always won a man. Mm-hmm. It was weird to see her playing a rich. Oh, was she rich? She was well off. She was the brother, or the the rich guy was the brother. They were siblings, so. But she was thirsty for some dick. I'm just saying it because she basically said it. Well, she's looking for a man, and she goes with Stephen Wright, the comedian. Um, <laughs> I love it, Stephen Wright. Thank you. And he's hilarious. And uh, <laughs> but what's like so funny? And there's a there's an alternate ending on this DVD that I watched there that is, I think solidif- solidified it for me. Uh, she's basically just dating somebody who is a fill-in for her brother you know like Stephen Wright is just like s- somebody else she can bully you know <laughs> like, well she uh, was looking for a rich man that she could own right and like her brother is a rich guy and they have a weird relationship because they're together yeah. all the time and it's just like oh you just basically want to fuck your brother I think <laughs> well and the thing is like when they were talking about sex earlier she's like well did you ever give her you know you know <laughs> I think she ends up saying orgasm, mm-hmm. but and he's like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to talk about this. And she's like, Well, did she ever like enjoy sex? And like how she's like trying to break it down. I do love the openness of those two. I, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I also think it's fascinating how he just seems like the right guy for her to like take advantage of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I love it. And yeah. it, it's just weird because she's so much different than Aunt Jackie, but at the same time, she's trying to get a man. Right. But this is a different version of that. <laughs> and which is funny because I believe she becomes, she, she comes out of the closet in Roseanne, right? Aunt Jackie was a lesbian? She was gay, I think. I don't remember. I didn't stick with that one. I didn't stick with that show. Damn it, man. <laughs> I don't remember. I think she was. Okay. I think that was a big deal. Then again, I don't know, you know, TV series. I'm not the expert on this. Yes, I'm, I'm definitely the wrong person to ask. <laughs> but anyway, so Roberta starts, she's reading the newspaper. She sees he's desperately seeking Susan ads. Uh, I think this is a fun catapult into the story, you know, where she's like, oh, um, I'm going to go where this person says they're desperately seeking Susan. She goes to the pier uh, she had bought Susan's jacket after Susan had sold it. And this kind of like starts a story where she's there and it, it's a um, mistaken identity because it isn't Robert Joy who mistaken her, but Robert Joy goes off on a punk band adventure. I'm going to just say mm-hmm. it's a gig. Mm-hmm. But then Aiden Quinn is the one who's like got to meet her because Robert Joy is afraid that something's going to happen to Susan, whatever. Because uh, there was a ad in the newspaper that didn't, it wasn't him. And he's the one who's desperately seeking Susan. So he knows something's up. He goes to meet her. We have, you know, a series of unfortunate events that lead to this great story. She gets knocked out and she thinks she's Susan. Yep. She doesn't know. She's got all the clothes. She's got all the stuff that, that was in her pockets, like the like the key to her locker and uh, Aiden Quinn's phone number. So there's the connection. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I have his number. So and Robert Joy left me this number. So she thinks she's Susan because it because all these things point to it yeah. and she doesn't remember. Yeah, we get to the locker. Then we find out, you know, we we just see all these events come together. Uh, it's fun. 
I like this. And they, you know, the the husband gets involved finally searching for her because she's been gone for a while. And he sees his life having problems when she when he no longer has, you know, Roberta, he's he's like, oh shit, I need Roberta. It's kind of like one of those, I don't know what I need until it's gone. Right. And he's cheating on her, of course, because he's like, well, which hot- we find out later. <laughs> he's the hot tub king or whatever. And he's, yeah, he's having a conversation with uh, Lori Metcalf and she's like, well, you've been having an affair anyway. And he's like, yeah, but it's just a normal affair. <laughs> I know it's it's one of those things where like I had no problem at first with him. and I'm like, I don't like him, but he's just, you know, he's a yuppie, a privileged yuppie doing his privileged yuppie thing. But so far he hadn't done anything bad. He may say things bad, but he's not actually doing anything bad. Then I find out he's cheating on his wife. So I was like, oh, you're a douche. <laughs> yep. Okay. He's just that guy. So then we go in through an adventure with Aiden and her. Um, what's his character's name? I forgot. Des. Um, so Des and Roberta go on a fun love adventure through New York sort of thing. Uh, where she ends up getting a job as a magician's assistant, which the original magician's assistant was was Susan's friend. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that woman in so many movies. She's been acting forever, but she always looks like a desperate 40 year old woman looking for a man in every <laughs> film. That's like her like tight cast. What an interesting tie cast. <laughs> but yeah, you know. she she's fun. She's funny in there. They have a good her and Susan have a good relationship, like funny relationship together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did find it hilarious that Aiden Quinn has this vast, huge, empty New York apartment. I'm like, oh, really? You could afford that? Get the fuck out of here. Uh, yeah, his artist loft. But I wonder if his girlfriend was paying for it because we know Maybe. she's loaded and she's taking everything with her when Maybe. she leaves him. But I'm just saying, a New York apartment that size nowadays. Not going to happen. (laughs) $5,000 a month. I don't know. Whatever. It's insane. And then, oh, did you notice her uh, guy that she was with? Who was the guy? I don't remember. Who was it? Bad guy. Beverly Hills Cop 3. Timothy Carhartt. Mm. 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 Yes, 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 yes. I can picture his face. The fluffy blonde hair. Yes. Yeah, he he plays a douchebag and everything. (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah she was uh so when she's about to meet susan she gets knocked out she gets saved from a very rapey will Patton, which we find out he's part of the mob he's part of the mob that the stolen earrings are a part of yeah uh, which she finds earring- in the locker yeah and so when wears them so she you know he thinks that she is Susan. Roberta is Susan. So that's the mistaken identity there. And yeah, he's going to attack her. And Aiden Quinn comes in and saves the day. Yeah, Aiden Quinn, he ends up bailing her out of jail, correct? He bails her out of jail. Um, and it's funny because that's after she gets bailed out after she gets her memory back because she gets knocked over um, and it bumps her head again. But she remembers then the interaction she was having as Susan, but she now knows that she is Roberta. Yeah. So then she gets a job as a magician's assistant and the magician is actually the old guy from the thing. And the lead is, or the guy that's uh, doing the show is John Turturro. Yeah. Which 
solidified this this was a New York film. Yes. I knew it was a New York film before this because all you needed was Tom Watts or what no, Tom Waits or John Turturro. And I'm like, New York. <laughs> <laughs> we got John Turturro here. And he's really funny. I love him as the bad host kind of with stupid jokes and stuff. I think he's great. It's just a freaking gallery of New York actors. Yeah, absolutely. Peter Maloney was the magician from the thing. Okay. That's where I know that guy because he has those like eyes that kind of pop out of his head. Mm-hmm. And of course, the thing, one of the greatest movies, sci-fi movies ever made, horror, mm-hmm. sci-fi, whatever. Fantastic. But it was fun to see him. Uh, I do have a question. Did you think Susan was going to sleep with the husband? I think if it would have come up, she would have. Yeah, I agree. But I don't know if it did. Uh, but I don't think she, she was like, if it happens, it happens. I think that's where it was. You know, uh, them smoking pot in the hot tub, I, I think was an example of this film dragging a little bit. I think we could have cut some of this. I don't have a problem with any of it. Today, that shit would be cut. It doesn't help the plot at all. Probably. But I like it here. I think it's funny. I like him, them being stoned on like the couch together too. Mm-hmm. And like to him just talking and her like not even listening. Um, and then them getting the call uh, from Roberta while they're stoned was, yeah. was pretty good. Now, do you think when they were in the bar meeting each other? Because I, you know, I think the husband does a good job of fish out of water in this New York world. Uh, do you think they were actually playing into the groove at the bar <laughs> while everyone was dancing? <laughs> I hope so. I doubt it, but I hope I doubt so. <laughs> it, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I go, I don't think they're playing that. And then they got the rights to her doing it. And they're like, okay, play it. Yeah, put it there. Put it in the credits. <laughs> her mugshot made me giggle. Roberta's. Mm-hmm. I did like that. Charges get dropped. What I do like is Charles... I think that's his name when he goes and he's just like, yeah, I'm looking for my wife. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we dropped the charges. Oh, no, she was bailed. And I'm like, that is privilege. They told him everything. They called him and then they dropped the charges for no. I mean, that is privilege. (laughs) Well, they got money. So, yeah. (laughs) So uh, I do. Another note is Robert Joy is a punk makes me laugh because I don't believe it at all. Uh, But he's great. He's got the, uh, you know. James Gunn spiky hair. <laughs> yeah, bulls- yeah, the James Gunn like, yeah, man, I'm a rebel. Are you? <laughs> uh, but I like either way, both those guys, love them. Yeah, exactly. God bless Robert Joy. Love him, love him, love him, love him. He's a great, he's such a great character actor. I have three notes left. I do love a movie where all the characters come together at one place at the end. And, the, and they do. They basically string it together so that all... All of our stories, you know, the the husband trying to find his wife, the wife falling in love with Aiden Quinn's character and her stint at the magic thing, and then Susan coming together, and then also, of course, Creepy Will Patton is there. I love the surprise reveal that he is in the club. Uh, like, uh, I think it is it. I think it's the husband. He pulls his chair forward, and then from behind, there's Will Patton just creeping around. Um, I love that he's in there as well, and that's how they show it. <laughs> yeah, and I love how it takes an hour and 38 minutes, but finally we get Rosanna Arquette and Madonna in the same scene. Yep, and then that's it. That's all they give us. They give us that and the newspaper at the end. Well, it, here's my note. It took one hour and 38 minutes, but Rosanna Arquette and Madonna are finally in the same scene together. What's the next adventure? 
And I, to me, that note meant nothing. I was just joking. But then when I found out that, you know, you have the newspaper cut ending and you actually have um, Aiden and Rosanna Arquette getting together at the end. That was not the original ending. The original ending was basically Madonna and her in Egypt on a camel roaming the ground going on other adventures. Yes. I think that one's more interesting, but I also think that makes no sense because they barely knew each other. I like I like our ending. I like the one, the theatrical ending better. Uh, it's cute. It's sweet. It's, you know, it feels good at the end. Uh, I, I like the idea that the girls would, they don't need the guys. And there's even a scene in that original ending where the guys are sitting at a bar being like, I wonder if they're talking about us. And they're like, not, nah, they're in Egypt, you know? But like, I think it's funny. I think it's yeah, cute. It but like, uh, I think more fitting for the movie that we just watched is the ending, the theatrical ending. I don't really know why they went with the theatrical. And I, I mean, I, I know why they went with it, because we invested so much time into the characters that, you know, the audience wants something. So I think the original ending is more of a writer's ending, but it's not a good general audience ending because the general audience doesn't want to invest all this time and then have something like that. Because Madonna and Rosanna Arquette were on the same screen for 30 seconds. Yeah. I, I just think sometimes the crowd pleaser ending is just the way to go. If you made a crowd sometimes, pleaser movie, yeah. if you made a crowd pleaser movie, just like you, there's no reason, you know, at the end of Clerks, Dante doesn't need to get shot. You know, like it doesn't need to be some ultra clever ending. No. You know, the the girls don't need to run off to Egypt, you know, and they shot this whole thing with the, the sand dunes in the camp. They didn't need all that, you know, just sometimes it's fun to have a good ending, a fun yeah. ending, uh, you know, a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the best for the, it's the script. Yeah. And, you know, I know the director, the writer and the star. Well, at least one star Rosanna Arquette wanted the original ending. I don't agree with him. No, I like this ending. That's fine. We can have different opinions. My reasoning is because we invested too much time in, Aiden and Roberta. If we invested more time in Susan and Roberta, maybe the original ending would make more sense. But it felt like just like women are powerful. I already knew that. Yeah, we already saw yeah, yeah, an hour and 45 minutes of that. (laughs) So I guess it's just a difference of opinion. And that's fine. You know, I brought this up earlier. I just don't understand why this film isn't uh, championed as a female-led, all-around female-led film. I don't understand it. I think I think it's lost. I don't understand why it hasn't fully broken into the mainstream either. Uh, just period. Uh, like it, like I said, it's on it's on VH1 all the time. It's uh, it's come out now subsequently on so many different MGM DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff like that. I and, and people love it, and it is a cult classic. But I don't know why this hasn't crossed over into full-on '80s movie classic because it's great. It's honestly a great movie. <laughs> All right, let's get into the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is a part of the show where we go in the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. Indy is bringing something back to the Orion wing. Can I go first? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to put in the boutique guy. Who is annoyed by everything every character is doing. And I don't know why. I just love him so much, that character actor. 
the store the the, yeah, the boutique owner, store or whatever yeah where he buys the jacket from her for this mm-hmm. price it has the uh clue in the pocket and then madonna comes back and she gives the everything that everyone does he is annoyed about but still propels the plot he sticks out so much in my mind i don't know why but it reminds me of living on belmont and by boys town Yes, that that one store. Uh, was it Strange Cargo? That it was is. Over it's there? Strange Cargo. Yes. That's exactly what yes. that store reminded me of. Yes, yes. I'm glad you saw it too. I immediately thought that when we got into that store, I was like, I know, I've been here. I've I know this place. There. I know that dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know that guy because every. <coughs> I'm coughing now because I'm laughing. <coughs> Not COVID. Um. It, it cracks me up because every time I would ask the guy something, anything, hey, do you have these in a size 12? He'd be like, I'll annoyed. Check, exactly. Yeah. I'll like, check the back. He's got to do his job and he hates it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm glad you saw that too. I literally thought that. I literally thought that exact thing. I was like, is that strange cargo? Is that exactly that place? <laughs> yep. So that's what I'm putting in the, the museum. What an explanation. That's hilarious. That's good. That's a good one. Uh, there's so there for me. There's so much I like here too. It's really hard to like zero in on something, but I think it's funny. Their last one I picked the soundtrack. One thing I really liked about this movie that I want to uh, section out is the score. Uh, I love the score of this movie. The kind of eighties uh, synthy fun poppy soundtrack that this has obviously the the song choices are still really good in this movie too but the uh score is really really fun here i I like it a whole lot i want to put that in the museum i don't really know how to explain it they just knew how to produce a small film like this and also incorporate the soundtrack that just made it iconic yeah it took it over for sure and i into the groove helped and everything for this but like i said i really like the score too so good music good good music choice even for for both of these movies that we've watched the last two weeks all right let's go on to some movies that we've watched lately and two uh and one that both of us like is bad boys for life yeah we both saw this one uh i i like the the first one a whole lot i, I wasn't big on the second one but uh first one's one of my favorites so i really enjoyed this new one too i was really surprised and really enjoyed it a whole lot I was worried. Uh, you know me. I have a fear of sequels that take a long time to come out. Uh, I had a fear of Face the Music. Uh, anyway, so Bad Boy for Life, I was a little scared. I'm a huge Big Willie fan. We all know this. If you've listened to this podcast, you know. Uh, so the second one, I was the same way. I was, uh, I was like, the second one is Michael Bayish. Two Michael Bayish. Two Michael Bay, yes. Yeah. The first one, fantastic. Love it. Still watch it to this day. But I hadn't watched them for a while. And so while I think the third one is too long, I think this is something you and I have to accept. This shit's bloated. So many of them. Oh, every every major release is going to be so bloated until we get some new editors in, in there. What is the deal? Why are we spending so much time on these comedies? What is the deal? Comedy action, whatever. I, I miss I miss 90 minute movies. I do. I really, really do. You can get a lot done in 90 minutes. If you can't finish a story, if you can't finish an action comedy in 100 minutes, I question why you should make the movie. Beverly Hills Cop. What was that? Like 100 minutes? Yeah, I can't. That's all you I, need. It wasn't three hours. I'll tell you that. <laughs> now, was was it two and a half hours? 
It was over two. It was over two. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember. I felt the runtime, and I yeah. love the film. It was a problem. Anyway, uh, Mike Lawrence coming back. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed... I just like their characters. I didn't like the second one, but the first and the third, I could watch at any time. Yeah, they're, they're great together. They have an instant chemistry. Okay, anything else we want to talk about? Oh, I know the Fat Man. So you haven't seen the Fat Man? No, I just couldn't stomach uh, it with all of 2020 and how it went. I just couldn't stomach Mel Gibson. And uh, I've seen plenty of Mel Gibson movies since bad stuff has come out about him. I've seen Hacksaw Ridge. I've seen Get the Gringo. Uh, I've seen The Beaver. You know, I've seen all these movies. I, I still like Mel Gibson sometimes as an actor, but just with how 2020 has been, I was just like, I can't stomach a new Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> yeah, I've let him slide a little bit, even though I don't like him. But I wanted to see it for other reasons. Walton Goggins is fantastic. And he's credited as the skinny man, which is great because he's trying to kill the fat man. <laughs> nice. He's always great. He is. He's wonderfully weird. Uh, he's a very unique actor who can pull off being in films that I don't really want to watch. Right. But I'll watch because of him. Because of him. <laughs> so, and I also found it interesting that Mrs. Claus is, is a black British woman. And she's not even credited as Mrs. Claus. I noticed she's credited as Ruth. And Mel Gibson is credited not as Santa Claus, but as Chris. Hmm. Chris Kringle. We get mm-hmm. that. But the Ruth, I don't get at all. No, that's weird. Anyway, it's an interesting film. It's a slow buildup until the end. The one thing I can tell you is, obviously, like I said, the skinny man, Walton Goggins, is fantastic. He steals a show. But the little kid, Billy, who is the rich kid who is, you know, hiring the hitman to kill the fat man, Santa Claus, I want to punch him in the face. So good job casting. <laughs> he's hilarious. Such a little shit. I just That's can't hilarious. stand him. That's so funny. <laughs> but he's not, he's not an over the top little shit. He's just, I don't like his face. <laughs> fascinating that's, so that's so funny <laughs> so i would suggest personally uh bad boys for life especially only if you like bad boys or big willie if you don't like bad boys one and two i don't know why you'd even revisit get into the franchise now yeah don't start there start with yeah. the first one if you haven't seen any of them so and fat man a lot of people won't like it's kind of a hard film to market i don't quite understand what it is it's a dark comedy but it's it's also a Christmas movie that isn't a Christmas movie. So I don't, you know, it's a Santa who salted the earth, but also like gun toting right wing Santa. But the film doesn't get political. I don't know where to put the film. It's something odd. <laughs> just a just another oddity of 2020. <laughs> exactly. So maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. Uh, if you don't like Mel Gibson, don't watch it. He is the main character, but he's not the main character. Watch it for Walton. Yep. All right. That'll end it this week. We'll be back next week with another Orion film. Matt, are you excited for the next one? Oh, yeah. It's a little bang, bang, boom, boom. It's the one that I really wanted to do for the Orion one because I just think there's a lot to talk about. Oh. Not because I think it's the best. (laughs) Oh, there's certainly a lot to talk about. So you've got to come back next week. I think our listeners will really like what we do with it. So I think this is a... Going to be a good uh, good one for fans because uh, it may not be the best movie, but it's 
it's indicative of a time and a type of movie and all that. It's going to be really fun to talk about. Yes, come back for Bing Bing Boom Boom Orion film. Yes. <laughs> Figure it out, people. All right. That'll end it this week. So remember to be kind. And rewind.